0: Welcome to the PEO Podcast, where we interview industry leaders to discuss all things PEOs. From mm. compliance to technology to client relations and everything in between, I'm your host, Andreas Toptola.
1: And that's where I kind of understand the difference of, hey, if you're an employee, work for a company, and your boss calls you, no matter what, you have to go, right? Or if you have to do what management or leadership is asking, and if you're an entrepreneur, you put your own rules and you could build
0: your agenda. Welcome to another episode of the PEO Podcast. Today, I will be talking to Daniel Marcos, the CEO of the Growth Institute. We'll be learning about his journey as an entrepreneur, different stages of scaling up a company and the CEO system that he developed. Daniel, what what book are you currently reading? So I'm I'm reading two books
1: uh, today. One is, I'm doing an audio book, and I'll get it here uh, in my phone. It's called The Heart of Business. Gilbert Jolie. He's a French uh, national that uh, turned around Best Buy. Best Buy, right? Uh, and uh-huh. Yes. I don't know if you've been to Best Buy recently, but the experience it's crazy good. And and I really like uh, the beginning when they said, "Hey, Best Buy is is going under." Uh, we need someone to turn around, but probably it's going to go on there, so you should not take the job. And the guy did an analysis to decide, mm-hmm. and he said, you know what? It's not a problem of Amazon. It's not a problem of e-commerce. It's a problem of, of the strategy of Best Buy and the execution of that strategy. So if we improve the strategy and improve the execution, we should do great. And the turnaround has been an amazing, amazing story. So it's, it's been just been a, a good read. And really what I love about the book is he went back to basics. Treating their employees with respect, caring about them, caring about the clients, and then the revenue came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought it was brilliant. And then the second book that I'm reading here, this uh, it's called The Four Turning. It's a it's a must read uh, for entrepreneurs today. And let, let me kind of explain. So the world moves in cycles. Like in a year, we have uh, spring, summer, uh, uh, fall, and, and, and winter. And there's certain seasonality where. As human beings, we have babies in the winter and like we create, and we have a certain process and, and seasonality in the way we live. The world has a lot of much bigger cycles. and in the case of this uh, book, they talk about this 88 uh, 90 year cycle, and it's interesting there's a debt cycle, like a 200 year death cycle that it's expiring today. Uh, uh, the guys from Pendulum talk about this 88 year cycle, precisely that is changing today. Uh, the guys from uh, Neil Strauss talking about the turning, they're all combined in the cycles ending in this decade, uh, 2023, 2025. So all the systems, political, social, educational systems that have been growing and, and uh, running the, the world today, they're expiring. They're, they're getting into what they call the turning that they're coming into a winter. And we are not allowing winter to be winter. We want the economy to continue to go up just can't. It's, it's just, we need to accept the cycles of life and do what we're supposed to do here and really come back to introspection, uh, relaxation, kind of redesign our systems and procedures. We have to redesign the educational system. We need to redesign the political system. Like it's, it's, it's very, very interesting to see that. And interestingly, like in Pendulum, they said 2023 is going to be one of the corners of the Pendulum and they start describing it. And they said the biggest witch hunts in life happen in this corner of the pendulum. And what was the word that Trump used the most, right? <laughs> uh, we have today a Mexican pressing talking about witch hunts. Um, so, so interestingly, this week, they, we don't have medicine for cancer kids in Mexico. We have a, a shortage of medicine for kids that have cancer. So you have all these hospitals with kids with cancer, and they cannot be treated because there's no uh, treatment for them. So we, we're having a really big political situation uh, in Mexico because of this. And the head of the central health system in Mexico said, this is a hunt. <laughs> like, Come on, how can it be a hunt, right? So, but it's interesting. The books were written 20 years, 10 years ago, 50 years ago. And they tell you exactly the words we're going to use. So if you understand history, you're going to be able to understand what's going on. And today, everything that is happening today, we think we're in a very unique place in life. These guys wrote about it 20, 30, 50 years ago. And if you understand history and you understand what happened, you will know what's happening today. And then you're going to be able to pass this with much less drama and stress and be able to come out stronger. Uh, Just as an example, for me, the peak of capitalism, sorry, the peak of globalism was 2019 for the next decade. Like in 2019, you could get into a plane and fly anywhere in the world for $500. It was so easy. To move around. Right. Now we're seeing we have a lot of problems with logistics. Like now you want to get a, a passport for vaccines. So, next decade, we have to turn inward, mm. re figure who we are and our society and political system, and then start doing alliances and coming out again. So, this is a decade to come back in. So, the peak of globalization as we know it was 2019, and we will reinvent a different way of operating and, and running the countries uh, and all together, a new new world order that it's been called and it's going to be
0: reinvented this decade. So I certainly have to uh, add both of these books to my, to my personal reading list here. You're going to get a huge sense of why we're going where we're going. And, and, and one thing that, that resonates is kind of like this, you mentioned we go going through different cycles, right? And oftentimes like in crisis, also opportunity lives, right? And if you, if you understand this, instead of trying to go against it, you go in
1: favor of it. Mm-hmm. And, oh my God, you're going to come out much stronger. But people that are trying to go against it are having the hardest time and they're going to come out
0: really weak after. Daniel, you are, you are an entrepreneur at heart, right? Uh, t- tell, us, tell us about um, your personal story, uh, how you got into entrepreneurship, the companies that, that you built and where you mm-hmm. are today.
1: Everything started when I was like six or seven years. By the way, I had no idea then. Today I'm connecting the dots like Steve Jobs said. But I was in Christmas Day, 25th of December, in a ranch of an uncle in a small town in Texas called San Benito, Texas. It's a very, very small town. And an uncle had a ranch there and invited all the cousins and nephews and kids, and everyone were there for Christmas. And I remember on the 25th, I was opening my presents and having fun with my cousins. And I see my Father coming out of the room dressed in a suit. And I was like, Dad, why are you in a suit? It's Christmas. And he said, Well, I got called by my boss. I need to go back to Mexico City. Mm. So at that moment, my father was a very high government, government executive. And there was an issue in Mexico politically, and my father had to go back. So I remember I was crying and being mad and complaining with my mom. And then I look around and my uncles were there playing with the kids. And I was like, Mom, why my father had to go and why my uncle stayed here? What's the difference, right? And my mom said, well, your uncles are entrepreneurs, they own their own business and that's why they could stay here. And I was like, what? (laughs) So for me, it was dad used to go work all day and mom stayed with you Mm -hmm. in home. And for me, they used to go to work and it was the same. And that's when I kind of understand the difference of, hey, if you're an employee, work for a company and your boss calls you, no matter what, you have to go, right? Or if you have to do what, management or leadership is asking. And if you're an entrepreneur, you put your own rules and you could build your agenda. Of course, you could have a lot of drama in your company and you could not take vacations, but you could choose and you have the right of doing that. And that's
0: sure. how everything started. It, it was a catalyst here, what I'm hearing that event. But, again, you know, the, the theme here is, is maybe freedom, right? And that's uh, is, is that a fair and, assumption? And now that you talk freedom, if you go to our logo, Growth Institute, below we have
1: two phrases. Scale impact and reduce drama. Reduce That's drama. what gives you freedom as an entrepreneur. So mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, today, tomorrow, 50 years from now, every entrepreneur, every CEO of a company wants to do two things. You want to scale your impact. You want to do what you do bigger, right? Hey, I help companies scale. I want to help more companies. I want to offer PO services to companies. I want to have 10 times more companies, right? So whatever you do, you want to do it in a bigger scale. But you also want to reduce drama. People said, hey, Daniel, I'm, I love my company. We're growing 50% a year. I've been doing 5,000 three years, whatever. I just don't have a life. I work 12 hours a day and I go on vacation and they call me 40 times a day. I want to reduce the drama of the operation so I could really enjoy the ride and scaling my company and enjoy my life. This is something we learned with Peter Diamandis, the founder of Singularity. Peter told me one day, he said, Daniel, you can't imagine how much money they pay me to ask me one question. And the question is, what's going to change in the future? But no one has ever paid me a dime and asked me what I think is a more important question. What is not going to change in the world? And the best companies in the world, they have a strategy based on what is not
0: going to change in the world. And when you get that, you're golden. Let's dive into that a little bit more, right? Many of our, uh, you know, the audience, the PO leadership here, they want to scale, right? They want to scale yes. the impact that they're having on the organization. You, you described the theme of reducing drama. So, so how do you typically help companies? What are, what are typical levers to reduce the drama? So I'll tell you a quick story and then I'll tell you how we do it. So my first company, we built
1: the first fintech in Mexico. We're the first one to put financial track of stocks and information online for the Mexican market. This is back in 1999. That was my first company. And we grew it. We ended up merging with an Argentinian company and a Brazilian. And we were probably around 100 employees when we merged. And then we raised $50 million from JP Morgan, Goldman, and we grew the company to 1,200 employees and then sold it. And we were 25, 26 years old. It was was a crazy story, but it was the dot-com typical bubble that we all heard about. And I was one day in my desk having a really hard day. And I... Remember an employee of mine came to me to my desk around 10 PM and I was working and I still had many hours of work. And she came to me and said, how are you? And I was like, not having a really fun day. And she said, Hey, I am married to an entrepreneur like you. And my, my husband is part of this organization called Entrepreneurs Organization. Do you want to get invited? And I was like, yeah. So she, she invited me to EO. This was back in 2000. And I joined EO. And as soon as I joined, I said, okay, guys, you're the experts. How do I scale my company? And they said, oh, you have to take this program in MIT called Birding of Giants that you and I are graduates. Uh, I graduated 2003. You're just uh, going through the program now. And Vern used to lead that program, Vern Harnish. And that's when I met Vern. And that's when I really began understanding what it was scaling companies. But something that I learned from Vern, there were two main things. And this is what you have to do to scale. First is you need a village of gurus. Like one person will not tell you everything you need you need to be learning the best from a lot of people and put it together uh, in the same place. And, and that, Vern, helps you realize that because he brings 10 speakers every time you go to MIT and everyone teaches you through their eyes, through their expertise, a different part of your business. And that's when you start putting the piece together and, and going growing your company. And the second thing that I realized that kind of learned through the eyes of Vern was Vern's eyes was, Understanding that every problem or opportunity I have in my business, someone already had that problem or opportunity, figured it out, and wrote a methodology, a book, a course of how to go through it better. And that's all the books, right? And and I thought I knew all everything in business, and I thought it was I was a wh- whiz kid. We were in the cover of magazines and everything in Mexico back in 2000. And when I see that, I was like, wow! So instead of asking the question, "What do I have to do?" I have to ask the question. Who is the expert on this field? I need to understand that methodology, hire them, take a course, read their book, whatever, and just follow it. And my success rate is going to be much higher. And like Brad Smart of Top Rain tells you, hey, I'm not going to help you get 100% A players. But if you go between 20% of A players to 50, you're going to crush the competition. Huge leverage. Yeah, absolutely. Right? If you double the amount of A players, you're just going to crush it. If the industry... A players is 20% and you're operating at 50% with eight players. You're going to crush it. So you don't have to be the fastest gazelle. You just have to be faster than the average. And that was so clear. Um, so that's what entrepreneurs have to do. Come with a learning mentality, mm-hmm. no, uh, accepting they don't know. And whenever something happens, opportunity, whatever, just ask who is the best. Figure out who's the best. And that's what EO and all the network entrepreneurs see it is. We ask our forum, hey, I'm having through this issue. What should I do? Oh, hire Jack Daly or get
0: the book and of Vernon scaling up or whatever, right? Just follow that, follow the process, and you're going to get better results. That's how you scale companies. Yeah, Daniel it totally resonates with me uh you know i'm i'm also a member of the uh your organization entrepreneurship organization right get tremendous value out of it over the you went to the e m p program uh, yeah in MIT. and to your point i mean you, you you're, you're not you're not alone right it's it's these yeah. peer groups it's uh, surrounding yourself with, with, with uh you know, other people and in getting the right mentors. Thanks for your perspective on that. You know, you 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 described in in, in the books that you publish kind of like the different stages of company, right? Growth stage, grow up, scale up, dominate your industry, right? Um, and I think a lot of the, our audience here is in one of those stages, right? Could you describe what these different stages are typically and 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 and, and how you define that? So let me do an analogy, and then I'll go to stages. So. I've been in this field, I've been a
1: entrepreneur 23 years, and I've been coaching CEOs and teaching CEOs and teams on how to scale for 10 or so years, 13 years. And they always come and, and said, hey, what's the most important book I need to read? And I was like, that's going to the doctor and said, doctor, I'm sick. Give me the strongest medicine. <laughs> like, What What are you sick? Do you have cancer? Do you have uh, diarrhea? Like, what's going on, right? And the doctor needs to understand what's your weight to see how much how strength the medicine, how old are you, uh, what do you eat, what's hurting you, do you have a diarrhea, do you have uh, uh, virus, whatever. And then they prescribe the right medicine. So this is what I'm trying to do with these stages. Trying to tell people, hey, depending on your stage, is depending on what's the right tool, the right methodology, the right book. It's, it's very, very different. So I'm trying to give what I call a CO system for someone to really understand what they have to do. And, and let me kind of explain this. When I go to companies, I said, hey, the most successful companies have, are very, very good building systems and procedures and following them to the T. And I said, okay, show me your systems. And they show me their accounting system, production system, customer support system. And I said, okay, show me your CEO system. I said, what do you mean? And I was like, yeah. The most important position is being the leader, the CEO. How do you run your company? They look at me, it's like, but, but, I, but I'm the CEO. And I was like, yeah, but what systems do you use? And I tell them, hey, the best CEOs, they have routines and systems, how they take decisions, how they communicate, how do they prioritize, how to get their KPIs, all of that. So what I'm building in and what I build in, in ImpactX is a CEO system based on stages. Whenever you're a startup, a grow up, a scale up, or whenever you're dominating your industry and leading your industry. And what do you have to do in each stage? And what are the right methodologies and books? And I give you 12 methodologies and books that I recommend that you have to do in each stage. So say, hey, I'm stage, scale up. What are 12 things I have to do? And you get a view of the 12 things you have to do. And what is the right methodology or book? What I've used or I believe is the best in the field. So I'm trying to say, hey, if you are 20 years old and you have cancer, these are all the medicines. This is the one I've used or I know. And I'm kind of give that pathway uh, for them to understand. And every stage has very unique challenges. Mm-hmm. Typical conversation with entrepreneur said, no, but you don't understand. My business is different. And I was like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> like, We're all having the same issues in the right. size of our company, right? They, everyone believes they're going through a very, very unique experience. I've talked with thousands of CEOs. We've helped over 10,000 companies in growth institute. And we know more or less your size, your country, your, what challenges are you having? So I'm trying to, it's not going to be perfect, it's probably going to be 80%, but I'm going to be able to, through the model, you're going to be able to read it and understand where you are, the pains that you're having,
0: the challenge your team is having, and what you have to do today to go to the next level. So, we'd we'll love to understand the, the framework in more depth. But before we go there, may, maybe just like outline to our audience kind of like these different stages that you're seeing. And, and also, I read about the, the, your concept of the death valley between the stages, right? Yes. How, how do you get yes. in there? Like, what, what, what are the threats there? And, so and, and if you want to follow what I'm saying, uh,
1: and Andreas, I'll give you a link. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll describe it now, but I'll ask if you could put it on the description of the podcast. Sure. Um, it's danielmarcos.co forward slash impact, dash X, dash workbook. And you could download slides. uh, This workbook has slides and charts so you could kind of understand what I'm saying. I believe there's four stages when you're scaling a company. Uh, Stage one, one to five employees. And your job is really to understand your product market fit. People have a business plan before they start and they expect that they're going to be able to follow their plan. And whenever you start working, you realize your plan doesn't work. Why? Why? Because you don't understand the market dynamics. You don't understand how your competitors compete, when they give discounts, like how are your clients going to react? Those are things that you have assumptions, but a lot of your assumptions are going to be wrong. So whenever you start a business, you have to really throw your idea and really adapt your idea to whatever the market wants. And that's a product market fit, understanding what do you do, what price, what channels, what marketing, everything. One to five employees, don't go above five employees because I see a lot of people, they raise money, they put a lot of people on the ground and they lose the visibility and they cannot learn fast enough. So don't raise money, do it with the least money, mostly if you can with your money. Bootstrap. And figure out, bootstrap it. Then you get stage two, six to 15 employees. And there you have two main issues. Your expenses are fixed, but your revenue is very unstable. And that's when the CEO or the, founder or founders, age the most. And by the way, you see entrepreneurs going through stage two, and they have white hair and they gain weight. It's just a tough stage because you're, you're just struggling to pay payroll um, every day. So that stage, you have to do two main things. First, don't run out of cash. You need to figure out a revenue, stable revenue. How can you get revenue stable? That's the most important thing. And the second one is really choosing the right team. And people said, well, I have a team from stage one. And I was like, nah, the team of stage one, it's not a team that, a team that you chose. It's a team that chose you. You don't choose your employees on stage one. Whoever is willing to work for you, you're so thankful that you hire them. And you don't, you cannot get the best. You don't get the best salaries. You don't have the best perks or brand. So whoever is willing to work for you, you're so thankful that you said, hey, come and work. And you hire a lot of generalists. Now you have to start thinking about specialists. And now you start getting, hey, these are my departments in my business, and I need a specialist here. And you have to kind of redo your chart. And then after stage two, you have to take a very, very important decision. You have to stay as a lifestyle business on stage two, or grow to stage three and do a scale-up. And I want to stop here and say, I believe the best
0: balance for quality of life and cash flow for the founder is stage two. And, and how did you find like a lifestyle uh, business? Well, what, what is that for you? So a, a lifestyle business, it's a business that you could run with five, 10
1: people maximum. And you run it like friends. You have lunch together every week and, and you could have people and like you have a personal relationship with everyone. And usually you have a lot of freedom. You could take a lot of vacations. You could dictate how you want to work with your clients. And usually, you're so few of you, you don't have managers, you don't have a first level of managers, there's a lot of margin. So you could really get a lot of cash flow. I'll give you a quick example. Before I built Growth Institute, I had a consulting business. Um, It was myself. I had two coaches, junior, uh, that helped me with my clients, Mm -hmm. and I have an executive assistant working remotely. We're doing a million dollars in revenue, the four of us. I could take three months vacation. I was having a blast. My wife said, Hey, the the time that I've enjoyed being the most was when you were a consultant with this business because you had a lifestyle business. We took vacations. We had good margins. It was great. Right. But then I said, No, I want to do growth institute. I want to do a scale up. And all the money that I was having on all the cash flow that I was getting from consulting, I started investing it in building the growth institute. And that's when the, the valley of death happens. Right. Your margins get destroyed. Sometimes you lose money. You have to hire first line of defense. Your managers have to invest in infrastructure, offices, and your expenses go through the roof. And the beginning of that is really, really tough. And that's the value of death. So what got you to one stage will not take you to the next one. And you have to go through a value of death where you have to reinvent your business, reinvent your orchard, your leadership, all of that. And that's when companies usually go under because they cannot pass that value of death. They run out of money or they have too much drama and they leave. So I'll give you an example. I was giving this lecture two, three months ago, a very, very successful entrepreneurs. And one of the entrepreneurs is this entrepreneur in, in, in England. And he texted me after and said, in 15 minutes, you explain what happened for the last 10 years in my life. He said, I had a business. I was doing great. Uh, I had 225 employees. I was doing 25 million a year, but I was miserable. I hated my life. Today, I have 16 employees. I had to implode my business, took it from 225 to 16. I do 7 million revenue. I net 3 million for me a year. And I love my life. And so when you end stage two, that's a decision. Hey, should I continue as a lifestyle and have a great quality of life with good cash flow and just enjoy my life? And have a simpler business, but that business is not sellable. That business depends on you. Or going to stage three and making an intrinsic asset or a company that runs without you that has a really high valuation, right? And that's what we're doing with Growth Institute. I've probably gone 10 years or 15 years or 10, I don't know when, but I'm going to sell Growth Institute I'm building a company that serves thousands of clients all over the world without me needing to be in the center. That has a, an, an intrinsic value that someone's going to say, hey, that business is worth X amount of money for me. Do you want to sell it? And I'll decide if I want to sell it or not. But this has value beyond me working there. So it's really important that you understand what kind of business you want and you play that game. Because I see entrepreneurs trying to do a scale-up and keep their quality of life and their cash flow. doesn't happen. They come mad with me. They just got divorced. And I was like, what are you expecting? You're doing a scale-up, Right. But it's, it's hard to do the difference because once you've been on stage two running a lifestyle business, you get used to a certain quality
0: of life and you have to change that quality. of So it's really about being intentional, right? As the leader of the organization, what, what, what is important for you, right? And what is the, the right? I said, for the scaling company? is choosing. Mm-hmm. And my clients tell me, I remember
1: 10 years ago when I was with you in a meeting, when we decided to scale. It's exactly the same. You have to be intentional of what you want. And a lot of entrepreneurs, I see they make their mistake. They've go, they they've been great in stage two. They're loving stage two and said, oh, if stage two is like this, imagine stage three. And they jump on stage
0: three and they hate it. It's, it's a completely different ballgame. So I want to go back to the CEO framework that you're talking about. Yep. It sounds like uh, that the framework would help the leader of the organization for each of right. the different stages, right? So essentially, whatever your decision there is, is, right? If you decide, hey, I, I want to run this as a lifestyle business, I want, I want to scale it, right? Uh, so the CEO framework will, will, will help through the stages. Tell us a little bit more about the framework and what it all contains. And, and this is another big mistake that I see entrepreneurs making. They say,
1: I'm going to build a great company. You're missing a step in the middle. For you to build a great company, you cannot build a great company on your own. You have to build a great team. And the great team is going to build a great company. So your job is to focus on building a great team. But that's also a step for you to be able to build a great team. You have to be a great leader. Because, and and I see this with a lot of entrepreneurs. The entrepreneur gives everything to the company. They have mortgaged their house, their cars. They have no savings. They work 12 hours a day. They overweight. They got divorced or have problems with their family and all that problems in their life. They think they're doing it for their company, but no, they're bringing all that stress and drama of their life to their company and that's killing the company. So what they have to do, and this is kind of framework first, focus on you. And like in any plane, when the masks go down, you have to put the oxygen mask first. So you have to be in great shape. You have to protect your freedoms. You have to have your rituals. Um, uh, and you have to be well, financially, your relationships, your body, your kids, like you have to be a good human being. So there's people that want to be led by you. Like imagine someone that is really overweight and drinks every day and smokes and said, Hey, I'm going to teach you how to be healthy. No, that's never going to happen. Right. So you need to be that leader first. Uh, and there's a lot of tools on how to do that for you. Um, There's some books on mindset, uh, rituals, as an example. Every day, I wake up two hours before my family wakes up. Every day, 5 a.m., I'm up. Even if I slept late or whatever, I wake up two hours and dedicate them for me. What gives me energy? What I like. So I have a really good cup of coffee in the morning. I read a little bit. I have to feed my brain every day. I have to meditate a little bit. I do some exercise. I try to just dedicate two hours for whatever I want. And then at seven, when my kids and my wife wake up, my energy level is really high. I already feel accomplished. I've done all these things in the morning. Now I could give them value. Now I could give them love. And from there, I go to the office. In, imagine that, that you have really high level of energy, exercise, all that. Compared to someone that woke up 7.15, run to the shower, shout to the kids, take a sh- uh, breakfast, whatever. By the time he's in the car and gets to the office, his energy is very down. And his stress level is very high. What's going to happen? First person he crossed in the office is going to shout, and it's going to be a disaster. So those are the kind of practices that we recommend for you to work on you so you could really lead a great team. Then, okay, great. Now let's build a great team. And for you to build a great team, you first have to attract the best players. And here I tell people, the best leaders play checkers, not chess. Sorry, they play chess, not checkers. So let me explain. In checkers, you look at your board and all the pieces are exactly the same. Blue, black, or white, same characteristics. And they have the same strengths and weaknesses. And you, when you play checkers, you move them around. You have full control of what happens on the board. Whenever you play chess, you look at the board and say, they're all different. They all have strengths and weaknesses. How can I position them in the best position for them to use their strengths the most? And how can I cover the weaknesses with other team members and other pieces? And once you have positioned them strategically, then just step aside and let them play. It's a huge difference from playing checkers and playing chess. I see a lot of leaders in stage three and four trying to play checkers and the team hates them. So it's really important that you first get them right and then align them, working company culture, uh, all these things, grow their, their capabilities, really uh, work on, on growing them, and then continue to build the team and grow the team. So that's the second part. And then the third part is now really building a company, right? And you have to have a very simple and powerful strategy. And that's what Vern and Scaling Up does really, really good with your BHAG and your priorities and the rest. You have to align them correctly. So first you have to build a strategy, then align them correctly to the right goals and and priorities and the rest. Then you need to have a repetitive selling system or revenue system. Uh, The best companies in the world, they have full control in the revenue. If you want to see drama, get a company that does have control in the revenue. And they are pulling their hair and they have a lot of stress. They don't sleep well. They don't pay payroll. It's a mess. Get a company that has control in the revenue. Revenue solves everything. It gives you time to solve whatever you want or solve whatever you want. And then culture. Uh, You really have to build a company that is growing. So one thing is culture of the team. And one is the culture and mindset of the company. That they're all the time evolving, learning new things or whatever. Because once you get to stage three and four and you are successful, people get into this comfort zone. And we start buying houses on the weekend and taking all these modifications. But that same mentality goes to the company and we stop learning, we stop evolving, we stop getting better. And
0: that's what killed companies. And oftentimes that's what you're seeing, right? That's companies that are Safe. doing the opposite, right? They, they keep learning, keep developing. And the, the best example is Blockbuster.
1: They were amazing at a certain stage in life, at a certain stage or trend in the world. And then they disappeared like that. Banished. Lost the trend. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. They were very innovative. At one point, and very uninnovative
0: in the next transition in life, and they were gone. If, if somebody's looking, uh, let me ask a couple of questions. Number one, if somebody yes. wants to connect to you, what, what, what's the best way, uh, way to reach out? But then also, like, oh. <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we, we talked about the theme now, but constantly learning and developing, right? Like, wh- what resources do you recommend in terms of podcasts? You obviously mentioned a couple of books uh, at the beginning. Uh, something to, to give our audience here. I really believe it's very important
1: what you read. But most importantly, is you have to read. Yeah. Um, uh, there's, there's a company called Better Book Club. And they do these book clubs in companies. Uh, and that's owned by a client of us. And he figured out through his experience with his clients that, yes, it's very important of what they read, but it's way more important, has way more impact that the team reads, that they get into the habit of reading and learning. But I still have space for reading. Um, There's certain things that I needed. I, I don't care if it's paper, but in Kindle, but the reading gives you the space to pause, ponder things, understand things. So most of the books that I read today, I read them in Audible, but then I go back to the physical book and read the four or five parts that I got hooked on the audio, reread them and take them. Uh, so I think it's, it's really important. Um, and of course, in Growth EC2, we have over 100 courses in every issue that you have in your business. Uh, if you want to scale your impact or reduce drama, we have almost everything covered there. And if not, we'll, we'll guide you to the right person or right company to do it. Um, best place to look for me, LinkedIn. My only issue is that I got to my cap of 30,000. Okay. I can't, I can't accept more. So I didn't even know that me. LinkedIn had a cap. You, Me neither, but I got to a cap like six months ago. Yeah. And it's horrible. I spoke with them and they said, sorry, we're not moving it. And we all hear about the cap in Facebook is 5,000. Mm. In LinkedIn, it's like 30. No one even thinks about it. So, but LinkedIn, I put a lot of, really good content in LinkedIn and I put a lot of really good content in Facebook. Those are the two platforms that I post the most. Look through my name Daniel Marcos and you could see uh, a lot of the work that we do. If you want to get notice of everything we do and the book launch, go to my page danielmarcos.co. I have some videos and podcasts and stuff, but there's going where we are going to be doing all the book launch and, and all the announcements of the
0: book. And the profit,
1: you- of course, if you want to scale your company with our do,
0: courses, do you already have a, a launch date for the book uh, that that will outline the CEO framework we, so, we talked about? Yes, uh, uh, launch date is October 15, uh, okay. but
1: I am delayed like two weeks uh, doing the last edit of the book. So I think we're going to end up launching around November
0: 15. Thanks again for for for, for being here on the show. Uh, it was it was a you know pri- privilege to have you. This podcast is sponsored by ThrivePass, a trusted PO partner for employee benefits, from pre-tax accounts to COPA administration. ThrivePass empowers employees to thrive through exceptional service and innovative technology. More at thrivepass.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at po-podcast.com to learn more. I'm Andreas Deptholler, and this is the PIO Podcast. We'll see you next time.